Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We have a surplus in the state budget, and you know what that means, showdowns over tax cuts. We discuss two major proposals with some of the state's key players. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, Senator Jim Rice responds to criticism of his property tax proposal from local government officials. Alejandra Cerna Rios, director of the Center for Fiscal Policy, gives us analysis on an income and sales tax proposal from the House. And House Majority Leader Mike Moyle and House Majority Caucus Chair Megan Blanksma join me to discuss taxes and more. But it wasn't all taxes this week. The legislature had a full schedule over the last few days with plenty of debates and committees and on the floor. On Tuesday, House members debated a proposal from Representative Priscilla Giddings that would prevent government agencies from contracting with companies that require employees to be vaccinated. As I have worked on non-discrimination legislation in the past, my legislation has been turned down due to creating special rights or a special class or a special status based on a lifestyle choice. So can you explain to me how House Bill 140 is not indeed creating special rights or a special status based on this lifestyle choice? Lady from Seven. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and good gentlemen. I would just argue that um, your personal autonomy and not having something forced into your body is, is a, a personal um, right is a freedom and I would very much agree with you that I would love to see all legislation in this body be given a fair chance on this floor. That bill passed 49 to 21 and now heads to the Senate. On Thursday, House members also debated a supplemental appropriation for Medicaid, sparking a debate about the federal deficit and Medicaid expansion costs coming in higher than expected versus Idaho's responsibility to pay the state's Medicaid providers. This number is astounding. This number is astounding. $369,764,000 million. What this is, is this sending a message that all the estimates in the world, whether they're right or wrong, no one is accountable. No one is held accountable for this kind of overrun. We did sign the bottom line that we would do Medicaid expansion um, as a majority of both bodies um, of, of, this, um, of this lovely Capitol building. Um, if this goes down, um, the challenge is, is that the program will start to run out of money and they will not be able to pay their bills, which go out to providers across the state. And in particular, I, I'm concerned about those rural hospitals um, that already have had um, such devastating impact from COVID. Rather than voting against this bill or this payment, if you will, I encourage this body 
to repeal the section of code that the representative from District 12 mentioned. So we can fix this issue, actually fix it, fix it, and not just grandstand against spending the money. Ultimately, that appropriation passed 37 to 31, with the majority of the House Republican Caucus voting against it. We have the full debate on the Idaho Reports YouTube channel. Find the link at idahoptv.org slash idahoreports. Idaho has an unexpected surplus this year, which in the Idaho legislature means an inevitable debate about tax cuts. Right now, there are two big proposals in front of lawmakers, one dealing with both income and sales tax, and one addressing property tax formulas. As home values have increased rapidly throughout Idaho, homeowners are paying a larger proportion of the property tax that's levied. Lawmakers generally agree that's a problem, but disagree on how to address it. Some ideas like increasing the homeowner's exemption would change how different properties are valued and taxed. A current proposal in front of the Senate, however, would limit how much local governments are allowed to budget. Current statute allows local governments to increase their property tax budget each year by 3%, plus any additional growth from new construction and land annexation. Senate Bill 1108 from Senator Jim Rice would change that formula to include only 75% of new construction and annexation rather than the full value, among other tweaks. That bill passed out of committee last week despite multiple local officials from around the state testifying against it. On Thursday, mayors and county commissioners in the Treasure Valley Partnership held a press conference to explain their opposition. Senate Bill 1108 is not the solution that some think it is. Our citizens have asked that new growth fund the growth. This bill does not allow that to happen. It only allows 75% of the growth to be captured. For the city of Napa alone, if this bill had been enacted over the last five years, we would have 20 fewer police officers in our rapidly growing cities. As we look to the future, this bill will drastically impact public safety, our ability to protect our citizens and provide critical needed services. Uh, I have met with uh, Senator Rice numerous times, either phone or face-to-face -face in my office over the last several months. Um, we have uh, attempted to explain to him how a city budget works. Uh, as you know, I've uh, put together 32 budgets uh, it, over my experience as, a, as an elected official between mayor and council. And it appears to me that there just simply is a misunderstanding in the way budgets are put together, what the new growth and uh, annexation roles would mean if we were to limit those. Uh, and I think it's just, uh, I think maybe they're, uh, their desires are, are in the right place. But for me, it's just a clear misunderstanding of what the new construction role and annexations do as far as having new growth pay for itself. Uh, as is mentioned by other mayors, it's essential to have that. Uh, if we are not able to do that, then it actually penalizes existing residents uh, to continue to try to subsidize new growth rather than allowing new growth to pay for itself. Mike Moyle happens to be one of my neighbors <laughs> too as well. And we do have conversations regarding this. And I, as, as Mayor Nancola said, I do believe it's truly a misunderstanding of how uh, these city budgets and, and whatnot are put together. Um, I believe, you know, they wanna, they wanna reduce property taxes for the benefit of everybody, but the formulations on, 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 and their thoughts um, and our opinions are incorrect on how, on how they're coming up with the with, with with ways on reducing those property taxes. You know, if we if we do have to stop uh, growth, uh, 
all together and limit it, you're going to start seeing, in my opinion, a uh, an economic effect uh, to that. You're going to start losing uh, jobs in the construction industry, just like we saw back in 2008, 9, 10 era, when people left uh, to other states, um, which in turn uh, reduces other businesses because they rely on this uh, on those uh, folks for shopping in those businesses. And then it's just going to be this big steamroll effect if we take away uh, new construction altogether uh, uh, or uh, limit our new construction, I guess, uh, uh, in our property taxes and, and make these cities uh, make these uh, unnecessary decisions. Friday morning, I spoke with Senator Rice, and he said that local government officials are overstating the impacts of the bill or misunderstanding its effects entirely. You know, I've heard resounding opposition to this legislation from local government officials from around the state, across all political spectrums. Um, and all of them are concerned about those rising property taxes in their communities, but they say this isn't the answer. Does that opposition concern you? Well, it's interesting because you get back channel, a number of them are saying this really doesn't do that to them. And they can, it's okay, it's not going to be a problem. And then you get the outward opposition and they say the sky is falling, but they did that last year with the 4% temporary cap to, to, so we could study the issue and figure it out. Um, and all of them took less than 4% growth in their budgets. And then they, but they said last year, the exact things they're saying this year, and yet even when they do it, it doesn't do what they say. So what we get is a lot of drama, a lot of use of hyperbole because they want to win a, a PR battle, but we don't, aren't getting focus on what's happening to the citizens, what are the drivers that cause the, the taxes to go up faster than people's incomes. And when your property tax is going up faster than your income, you're paying a bigger and bigger percentage of your income in property taxes. That's the way it works. And so we need to get that down so that instead of property tax being here and your income growth being here, they both get into that same range. And that's what the bill does. But a lot of it, I think there's misunderstanding of the bill. So what we're doing we're preparing an Excel spreadsheet that we're going to give to everyone, cities, counties, the media, the public, make it available to the public, um, just so everybody can be actually talking about the actual bill instead of the boogeyman that, you know, nobody understands so we can all go off in different directions on what it is. You know, it's funny that you say there's misunderstanding about the bill because yet on Thursday during a press conference with members of the Treasure Valley Partnership, they said the exact thing about sponsors of this legislation, that there's a fundamental misunderstanding about how these local budgets are put together. And this seems like a mighty big gamble when, when it doesn't seem like you're talking about the same thing. So well, where's the breakdown here? The breakdown is, is that we have had a study group followed by an interim committee and we've had little engagement from the cities. They're the primary drivers on the opposition. Uh, the counties are officially neutral. Um, they've actually been engaged in the process. Uh, they went through and actually evaluated the impact on their budgets. 
Uh, they used 2018-19. Um, that budget, those two budgets, uh, so that it would be pre-COVID. Um, and they found that it would, would have made a 2% difference in their budgets. Uh, and that was only because two counties took a large amount of foregone. And when they took that out, it made a 1% difference in their budgets. That's not the kind of difference that should be, that would cause the problems that, and, and that's in the growth of the budgets. That, that's not what would cause the problems they're complaining of, but it's some complicated uh, math. And so people, one of the things I found is that we've got a lot of mayors that didn't understand how the new, the current formula works. They just plug stuff in, they don't know what it does. And so we're not rushing to hear the bill in the Senate. We're gonna get the, get the actual information out with a spreadsheet so you can see what it actually does to your budget, plug in your numbers um, so that you know, we have actual discussions about the bill and not about something else. Uh, it's really important that we have better engagement but it needs to be engagement on what the bill actually is, not on something else. You'll find my full interview with Senator Rice online on the Idaho Reports YouTube channel. Find the link at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. And while you're there, hit subscribe. Senator Rice's proposal isn't the only way lawmakers are considering tinkering with tax policy this year. Last week, House Revenue and Taxation Committee Chairman Steve Harris proposed legislation that would lower personal and corporate income tax rates, as well as drop Idaho's sales tax from 6 to 5.3 percent. On Friday, I spoke to Alejandra Serna Rios, director for the Idaho Center for Fiscal Policy, about the center's analysis on the bill. The um, most Idaho households wouldn't see a significant change in their tax bill from the legislation. So the top 20% of income earners in Idaho, so those households that have an income of about $103,000 and above, uh, would receive most of the benefits from this proposal. So the remaining would be spread out among uh, the 80% of Idaho households who earn less than that. So taking all of these complex components of House Bill 199 into account, reductions in the sales income and corporate rates, uh, taking away the grocery credit from our uh, tax structure. Idaho households with incomes of up to $66,000 a year would see um, a decrease in their tax responsibility that is about $30 to $90 on average, depending on a family's exact circumstances. However, the top percent uh, of earners in Idaho, so folks who earn close to $500,000 a year or more, would see a tax cut of about $4,500 on average. Um, of course, if our goal is to keep a fair tax system, uh, those provisions don't get us there. Um, and if, it, if our goal with a tax policy is to provide relief to Idahoans who are currently feeling the deep effects of the recession still, it doesn't get us there either. You know, I've had similar conversations with lawmakers over the years about this very issue. And, and their argument is, of course, lower earners are going to get less of an immediate benefit from bills like this because they pay less in taxes. Um, you know, the lowest earners pay less than 2% on income tax. And so how much of that is just 
the reality of how much they're paying into the system in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, through our uh, research, we have found that the tax system is actually kind of an upside down version of that. Um, so taking all the different uh, tax collection into, into account, um, modest earning families actually pay more of their income as a, as a share uh, to, to our tax base than wealthier families. So, um, and when you say modest earning, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, uh, families who are sort of in the middle class income range. So, um, you know, around $70,000 or less. Got it. Got it. Yeah. You know, and let's talk about the, and, um, the overall reduction in sales tax, you know, dropping it from 6% to 3% across the board. How much would that benefit Idahoans? So um, my understanding of the proposal is that by taking away the grocery credit, um, policymakers intended to make up for that with a reduction in uh, the sales tax we pay on all things that we buy in the state. Um, the issue with re reducing the sales tax um, is that it's a very, very leaky uh, tax cut. So um, it would cost around on the scale of $200 million a year. Um, and about $1 of every $6 that we would give up in revenue would actually go uh, to folks who are passing through the state. So folks who are driving Yellowstone or you know, just spend a few days in Idaho also contribute to our sales tax base. Um, so when we discuss the fiscal impact of that, um, you know, it's it's something that um, that is is pretty important to to acknowledge. We have more with Cerna Rios online. You'll find the full interview on the Idaho Reports YouTube channel. Find the link at IdahoPTV.org/IdahoReports. On Friday, I spoke to House Majority Leader Mike Moyle and House Majority Caucus Chair Megan Blanksma to get their take on the income and sales tax proposal. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Representative Moyle, you're a co-sponsor on House Bill 199. Why, in your view, is this the best path forward for tax relief this year? Well, because it cut income tax rates and it lowered the overall sales tax rate. And, and it accomplished what we wanted to accomplish was we get the talk going about tax relief. We're sitting on a lot of money and there's no reason we're not getting a bunch of it back to the taxpayer. I don't know that House Bill 199 is the total answer, but at least it got the ball rolling. And now you're hearing a lot of other proposals come forward because of it. And there, and I don't know where we're going to end up in the end, but it, get, it gets the talk going. Can you give us some insight into how those talks are going? What are you hearing from other members of your caucus? Other members of our caucus are on all different places from the sales tax to the income tax to the property tax. All three of them have been talked about. A lot of the discussion has been between the House, Senate, and Governor as we try to find a proposal going forward that can address the, the tax relief issue at the same time address the concerns with roads. So they're kind of tied together now in their mind. So now there's this back and forth to try to find a place where everybody can agree that they're happy with. You know, this specific version of the proposal, critics have pointed to the disparities in income tax relief for the top percent of earners uh, versus the lower 60 percent of households, which would get less than $100 in income tax relief. So can you talk to me about that disparity? Are people who are struggling the most in this economy going to benefit from a proposal like this? When we get done, whatever comes from the legislature will will address that bottom end. The problem you have, though, is the percentage of tax relief in that bill is higher on the bottom than the top. But in Idaho, since the rich start at seventy five hundred bucks, so to give you an example, if you make eleven thousand nine hundred and some change, you're in the higher bracket. 
And that makes it really tough since so many people are at the top end of the bracket than the bottom end of the bracket. But whatever we do will address that concern. The end result, the end bill that comes out here, will take care of that concern. And like I said, House Bill 199 got the ball rolling. We're now talking, we now know the places we need to move around to fix that issue on the bottom to make sure we take care of our friends on that end of the scale too. And then what we pass, we'll do that. Uh, Representative Blinks, I want to bring you into the conversation. What are you hearing from other House Republicans, um, their ideas as far as tax relief this session? Yeah, I think there is a, a big interest in providing income tax relief and transportation. And there's also, we can't forget the one-time money that's also available. So when you, you talk to some of those folks that are falling um, lower on the income tax brackets, we should have the opportunity to provide them some direct relief with the one-time monies that we have available to us. So I do know that right now the transportation chairman of the House and uh, the the Revenue tax chairman are working together to try to find a larger package so that, that we can help with uh, transportation and provide income tax relief and also look at that one-time money to provide one-time tax relief rebate style. So it's they're looking at quite a few different options. I know that we're working probably with the Senate as as best as we ever had. And, and so there's a good working relationship there between all the chairmen and I, I'm hopeful that we get something soon to put out to the public because I think that I completely agree with uh, Representative Moyle that 199 is a good starting place, but we've made a lot of progress since that was put out to the public and I, I think I look forward to seeing what's coming. You say soon, any idea about when we might see that uh, next proposal or final proposal? I talked to the chairman this morning and I said it would be really lovely if we could see something next week. So that, that's my hope and um, obviously as part of my role I, I will be trying to get it out to the public and, so that they can see what it does for them. I also asked Representatives Moyle and Blanksma about recent protests from some House conservatives over their bills not being heard in committee, culminating last week in marathon floor sessions in which members forced the House chief clerk to read the full text of proposed legislation to signal their displeasure with House leadership and committee chairs. You know, speaking of people who are unhappy, I get the impression that some members of your own caucus are unhappy that their bills are not getting hearings. They've forced the readings of bills from the House chief clerk. Um, you know, as majority leader and House caucus chair, how do you two approach those conversations? So how are the feelings among caucus members right now, uh, Representative Blinksma? Well, I, I think it's important to remember that this um, chairman deciding what to hear is not an unusual process. This is done throughout the United States. The chairman are in charge of their own agenda. This whole idea that every bill gets a hearing is a little bit manufactured in that it's just this is part of the process, has been part of the process traditionally, and is not unusual throughout the United States. Not everything gets a hearing. And because you have to remember, for a bill to get a hearing, it costs time, money, effort. And so you have to be respectful of that. And you want bills that are having hearings to be seriously considered and not just considered things um, for um, a, a personal agenda. I think that's really important to remember. I think that um, we're doing our best to try to work with caucus members and try to set a path forward so that if they do have things that want to be considered seriously by the entire House, there's, there's some steps that you have to go through and some boxes you, you need to check just for your own 
um, your own peace of mind knowing that you're going to create a, a piece of legislation that's going to go forward with some purpose. And so I think we've all been, I know the, the majority leader has been, I know I've been working with some of our members that are interested in bringing legislation forth that may have had a little bit of a rocky road to give them a couple of paths forward and help them check the trap lines so that they have a greater degree of success in doing that. You know, I, I know that a lot of people at home are thinking, for heaven's sake, why not just hear these bills, especially ones that seem to have a lot of support among your caucus members and, and honestly among Democrats too. I'm thinking especially about the grocery tax repeal, uh, Representative Moyle's favorite proposal over the years, I know. Um, Brought the first why, one myself. <laughs> so why not let it have a hearing? It's not me that's stopping it from having a hearing. The other thing you got to bifurcate too when we talk about bills is sometimes individual legislators, instead of going through the committee process, will try to go around the committee process with personal bills. And that has been a no-no since I can remember. Those bills and speakers in days gone past have always thrown those in ways and means because it's a way around the committee process. But even when we talk about the chairman, they do have the, the latitude to do that. I think there's a perception among some that leadership goes in there and tells them what to do. Not so much on the House. Maybe that happens no. on the Senate, but it uh, doesn't happen on the House. And so those, those chairmen with that chairmanship have some power and authority, and they have those, the, the ability to do the, that if they choose. I do know that, that usually the chairman will work with them and try to find solutions and paths forward. But sometimes we, um, like anywhere else, sometimes people get mad and angry, and, and that doesn't help move their bill along. And when they threaten people or do some of the things that have gone on that we used to never see, it makes it even tougher because then you have chairmen that bow their back and say, no way. And so we've got to be careful how we handle it, that we don't do that and work together and it'll work better. But, but most of them, I think, like Megan said, they're working through the process. Most of them, we're trying to help them find a solution and, and we'll get there. Well, we'll and, takes time. and to piggyback a little bit off of what Representative Moyle was saying, um, this is a collaborative process, right? There are 105 legislators that you have to get a majority of them to come along with you. And so you just do yourself more of a favor if you work in a collaborative way. And, and that's what our chairman are trying to encourage, is to make sure that folks who want to have hearings on their bill will have success. That, that's the point of the whole thing, is we want people to be successful. One of the other things too that we got to talk about is the fact sometimes people get in the press and say their bill does one thing, but it really does another. And the chairman, because he gets to see those RSs, knows what it really says. And that's been really frustrating the last couple of years because we can go throw the propaganda out there, but just because we just because somebody says it says something doesn't mean it does. And a prime example is that property tax relief bill on the Senate. Their concerns are not necessarily truthful. And so when we start playing that game, it makes it harder for the chairman. They'll start. They push back, which which is their prerogative. One last question before I let you two go. What's going to be the going home issue, Representative Moyle? I'll start with you. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be taxes. It's going to be budgets. It's going to be roads. And then the fourth thing is going to be what's this new money from the federal this this new monopoly money, the funny money that the federal government's going to send. Those will be the four issues. I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I have too much to add to that. I think probably the biggest thing on our plate is this huge surplus 
that we've got in trying to figure out a way, the, the most efficient way to return it to taxpayers, be it via roads, be it via rebates. We, that I think that's our biggest issue right now. We have this enormous surplus because you know Idahoans did what Idahoans do. We we stuck it out and we spent locally, and now we have this abundance that we need to return to our folks. And so I think that's that's going to be the major focus to get us out of here this year. House Majority Leader Mike Moyle, House Majority Caucus Chair Megan Blinksma, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. It was good to see you. For my full conversation with Representatives Moyle and Blinksma, including their take on the property tax proposal and a discussion about decentralizing the Attorney General's office, go to the Idaho Reports YouTube page. Once again, you'll find the link at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next week. presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.